Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Podcast. This is 1089B, and we have a wonderful guest for you. Wonderful from the standpoint of incredibly informative, but also wonderful in what she has done for... um, I would say, our planet, our Earth, and each of us. Um, The new book that Emily Murphy, who is the guest um, from Northern California, writes is Grow Now, How We Can Save Our Health, Communities, and Planet One Garden at a Time. It's published by Timber Press. The topic really is on regenerative gardening, and we'll find out what she means exactly by that in a few seconds. Um, She is also the author of the Amazon bestseller, uh, Grow What You Love, Um, and we'll find out how she got into this field of returning, as she calls it, returning carbon to uh, the soil. Emily, thanks for coming thanks on. Thanks so much for having me. We are brought to you as usual by, and by the way, the B segments are always guests. The A's, for those of you who are just uh, downloading us for the first time, is the latest medical news of the week and what it means to you. The We're brought to you by Life's First Naturals, the maker of bovine colostrum tablets and true biotics. Bovine colostrum is uh, a something I asked to join their scientific advisory board for because way early when COVID was first beginning, I went to look up what decreases upper respiratory infections. And in randomized controlled trials in both athletes and those on non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, when you look at what decreased upper respiratory infections, it turned out that bovine colostrum was something that was strongly associated with a benefit. It also has a benefit in decreasing the time away from exercise and the bloating that is felt after non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs as well as after um, strenuous exercise, as was shown in the Italian soccer player randomized controlled trials. Life's First Naturals with an S dot com. Um, Emily, thanks very much for writing the book. I wanted to go over two subjects very quickly with you um, to begin with, and, and one of which is that you wrote about in this. And by the way, the picture you have uh, on the page that I'm going to talk about, the biodiversity hypothesis, looks every bit like a scene in San Francisco with a steep climb upwards, but I, it, I suppose it is not in San Francisco itself as it's got almost too much sun in the picture. Um, in any case, um, tell us what the biodiversity hypothesis is. Yeah, so the biodiversity hypothesis really forms the framework or is the internal thread weaving throughout the book that ties together these ideas of um, human health and planetary health and their um, interconnection. And this hypothesis was formed 
really from a study that was conducted or a survey rather conducted uh, out of Finland. And uh, what researchers did was they looked at this area in Finland that's existing uh, north of Finland. And prior to World War II, uh, this area was one cultural region. And during World War II, a portion of this area was ceded to Russia. And uh, following the war in the 40s and 50s, um, the Finnish side urbanized and the Russian side uh, continued to live a very rustic life as they did uh, before the war, very close to nature, uh, agrarian, many people growing their own food. And over time, what researchers wondered was, well, why is it that on the Finnish side, uh, they're finding that citizens have 10 times the rate of uh, inflammatory illnesses, such as allergies and asthma? And uh, while on the Russian side, people are really pretty healthy and they didn't suffer from uh, those those um, those ailments as much. And what they found during their research was it came down to microbes and the connection uh, that people have with nature and the microbes naturally found in nature, specifically microbes in soil and microbes on plants. And what I love about the study, if you read the the paper and the first the the first uh, paragraph, the summary of a of a research paper is always the, the general summary and the thoughts of the the writers of the paper and the that conducted the research. And w- what they say in this is they say how important it is to bring nature close, spend time in nature to protect it because the biodiversity of our environments is really a reflection of our personal biodiversity and therefore our resilience. Uh, because again, we get our microbes from our, our, our environments, first from our mothers and the food we eat, and then from uh, the places we spend time in. And how does that fit with the book? I, I know how it fits, but let's tell the, the readers how that fits so well with your whole theme of growing now. And, it, and I, by the way, I, I lived in the Bay Area for a number of years, and in Cleveland, one of the amazing things, in right opposite the uh, Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute, which is where I'm located, um, we have a former golf course that has been renaturized almost exactly as you suggest. So it is, uh, you can't tell there was a golf course there other than there's some uh, hills and where sand traps were, there are different uh, plant species, if you will. But go ahead and, and talk about um, how, the, how, how you're, what you're talking about in biodiversity and growing now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great point um, and great story, too, because... Uh, that's really the premise of the book is this rewilding process, uh, rewilding everything from a golf course. As you say, I can picture it. I'm, I'm sure the transformation was uh, remarkable and uh, rewilding our food systems, rewilding our gardens and really trying to bring as much nature into our lives as possible and reassembling nature as well. Uh, so what that looks like, um, if we back up a little bit, uh, the idea is that, you know, microbes are, are these old friends that help us decode and distill our environments. And, and when we, again, renaturize, rewild our environments, we're only emboldening that process. 
and we can we can uh, facilitate it and 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 really move it forward by uh, a simple set of techniques for rewilding. And in the book, I use the term regenerative. We're regrowing. We're reassembling nature again. If you think about how we've sort of inadvertently and unknowingly, for all good reasons, I'm sure, like build our homes, we create our communities, um, at least for many good reasons such as that, uh, we've, we've broken up nature. And when we, when we consider places such as uh, golf courses or our front lawns or or the health strip between the sidewalk and the street as these places where we could bring nature back, then we are then envisioning and, and, and um, connecting the dots where we're creating wildlife corridors, nectar paths for wildlife to move and uh, living greenways that we benefit from as well, because then of course we're bringing nature close to home and, uh, and through the regenerative process, um, I like to say, oh, when you were a child, you played in the dirt. Why did you ever stop? Uh, it's a rhetorical question because uh, I'm sure many of your listeners maybe still do play in the dirt. They might grow a garden. But the idea in this book is how can we grow better gardens? How can we go beyond sustainable, go beyond organic to really restore and rewild our soils and, and our landscapes? And again, if we're thinking of um, if we go back to the biodiversity hypothesis and we think of, well, microbes in soil and microbes on plants, um, how do we how do we uh, enrich their ability to or enrich their ecology? Uh, and it's really through these simple principles of, of feeding the soil carbon, uh, planting a biodiversity of plants, avoiding pesticides, herbicides, synthetic fertilizers, keeping living roots in the ground that also feed the soil ecosystem, doing no harm, protecting wild places, which are reservoirs for biodiversity. And and uh, if I didn't mention composting, I'll mention it again, because compost and composting are two really important factors for not just supporting biodiversity, but uh, shuttling carbon from the atmosphere underground. And I talk about all of those things in Grow Now and how to do them. What's wonderful is it's a very simple process, but uh, what it does is it really puts us in the middle of this equation and each of us individually. And I think we're reminded, too, that my garden plus my neighbor's garden and so on uh, collectively make a difference and create environments in which uh, we all have the opportunity to live uh, healthy, rich lives. So what they did, um, you know, I'm I'm not as familiar with this until I read your book and of course the uh, going going to the former golf course across the way that in Cleveland actually you sh you if you ever get here there's a incredible set of metro parks that ring the whole area that is that is just incredibly it's it's the ring in other words it's uh, considered a ring around uh, the city of uh, in the the general area of the Cleveland metropolitan area, but this um, someone bought the golf course, donated it, and uh, others have donated enough money to rewild the golf course. And watching it, um, essentially, you'd think they just let the natural um, plants grow in it, but obviously they had to do a bunch of planting uh, as well. Um, how much time? Let's in 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 a relatively small front yard. How much time is required for rewilding? Mm, good, great question. Um, and by the way, I have been 
meaning to visit Cleveland. It's been on my list for a long time. I have a number of friends and family members from there and friends that live there now and uh, really love it and have so much, so much, so many wonderful things to say about it. But uh, so it's on my list. Maybe I'll be there soon to see that golf course in person. Uh, but going back to your question, the process of rewilding uh, it can be at your own pace, of course, just just like anything we choose to do or most things we choose to do. And uh, what I outline in Grow Now is that it can start by simply, you know, if you have a lawn area you'd like to rewild, it can start by simply uh, cutting that lawn short, placing a layer of cardboard down, wetting that cardboard and throwing compost on top, about two to four inches of compost. And you can just let that sit and do its thing and let that soil um grow and cultivate on its own, or you can plant directly in the ground. And you can choose to grow from seed, which is very um, uh, cost effective on a time scale, or you can plant plugs or 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 uh, plants in four-inch pots, pots to a gallon pots. Depends on what your goals are, and it also depends upon uh, the framework of the landscape around you. So if if your home is in a place where it was once wooded, uh, you might want to consider adding more trees and shrubs. And if your home is in a place where it was clearly open and prairie, then maybe consider adding adding um, a meadow of some sort or raised beds for uh, growing vegetables and an area for flowers and a meadow. Uh, and it, that might sound kind of daunting and like a lot, but what I tell people is to start small and keep it simple and focus on the things and the plants that uh, will bring you immediate benefits and that could immediate immediately benefit uh, your environment. And one way to figure that out is to consider, well, who's visiting? What what birds might be visiting? Or what pollinators do, would I like to support? And um, maybe check in with your native plant society or uh, master gardener group to figure out, well, what pl- plants are really best for my area and focus on those plants. But in reality, when you're looking at budgeting your time, it, you could spend anywhere from you know 10 minutes a week to 10 minutes a day to um, an hour a week. I have quite a big space, and I have to honestly say I might spend an hour, sometimes two hours a week. But this is what I do for a living in some ways. This is part of my work, and um, that might sound like a lot. Yeah, that's a pretty short time, actually. Not very much Need, I mean, in other words, if, if for people who weed or, or take care of a garden, um, that's a lot less time than uh, you might uh, think, right? Yeah, it, it really is. So, it, I mean, to me, um, it, it's uh, when I look, when I've looked at the area, I've thought, how do I rewild a front yard in a desert, what would you do there? How would you rewind? In other words, when you look at different conditions, um, there are things you would, it seems you have to do to get the biodiversity. Um, And by the way, I love um, 15 easy ways to increase your nature quotient, um, which is another uh, neat little table in here. But you go through the different ways of, of planting and what you should do in different areas and how to rewild in the book. Someone ought to be uh, praised for all the gorgeous pictures in here as well. Mm. Um, so oh, thank you. How did you, how did, 
let's go back and 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 talk about how did you get so interested in this field? Mm, great question. Uh, and then maybe we can go back towards the nature quotient because that's a great piece of the puzzle as well. Um, I was I was one of those lucky kids to be raised in um, in an environment close to nature. I uh, lived in a college town in far northern California, not far from where they filmed the Ewok scenes in Star Wars. So imagine redwood trees and the ocean close by. Uh, and my grandmother lived in the foothills of Sonoma County, and I would spend my summers with her. She had a homestead. Uh, I started living with her when I was seven, and honestly, I was probably one of the last child in the woods, or last children in the woods. Uh, I, the rules were uh, be home before dark and watch out for rattlesnakes. And I had the best summer feet. No, <laughs> sho- no shoes were required, and I, I really just, I, 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 I think that time and time with her, she was an artist and we'd take walks looking for mushrooms and she had this garden and chickens and a couple cows and that really imprinted itself on me. And I'd go home to this college town and you realize, you know, you can find nature everywhere. It just takes time to look. And uh, uh, between the food growing that we did, which wasn't extensive, but it, it really complemented our everyday meals and and that time in nature, I carried that with me. And in college, I studied ethnobotany, environmental science, ecology, uh, social ecology. And um, that really sort of set me up, gave me the foundation for writing Grow Now. And and I use those experiences hoping to, um, hoping to inspire others Others, I know many of the readers, I'm guessing, maybe had similar experiences, but in their own unique environments. Uh, and then for those who aren't quite sure or or maybe they weren't raised in that way, um, the nature quotient, the idea of, of fostering and cultivating your nature quotient, staying curious, paying attention, uh, it's a wonderful way, again, of, of really putting yourself fully immersing yourself in nature and the natural processes that uh, are occurring all around us all the time. And by cultivating your nature quotient, which um, listeners, I'm sure, understand your IQ is your ability to reason, your EQ, your emotional quotient is uh, your ability to collaborate with others, your understanding of others. Some say your EQ is a better measure for success than your IQ, which I think is interesting. But what about your NQ? What about your nature quotient, which is your general overall understanding of nature? It doesn't mean you have to know every uh, plant and animal species by scientific name, uh, but that you're just paying attention. And and this goes back to your question of, well, how do you rewild a garden if it's in the desert versus, say, Minnesota versus, say, and I'm kind of riffing off of what you mentioned, uh, California versus uh, Cleveland or um, Maine, for instance. And part of that is is cultivating your nature quotient and who, again, is visiting, what plants are endemic or native to that area, and, and what is your climate, what are your growing conditions. Start asking those questions and paying attention and developing your nature quotient, and you'll discover that a lot of the answers you're looking for are found there in that process. Uh, and um, for instance, if you were in the desert living in Arizona, you wouldn't necessarily try to grow Joe pie weed, which is a plant common to say New England, where they get lots of summer rain. 
you would choose plants that are uh, the right plant for the right place that are um, that take arid climates that take uh, soils that are very kind of uh, uh, devoid of nutrients and very sandy and well draining and you would choose plants that can take heat and um, and you would get that information from your the environment in which you live thank you Emily and that is Emily Murphy grow now a great book as I said it's going to be in my library I'm not letting it go to anyone else maybe my wife Uh, maybe I'll let my kids read it or we'll buy another book for them it is a wonderful book on how to rewild the land Um, and Emily Murphy's website um, for those interested in getting to it pass the pistol Um, and that's obviously part of a flower P-I-S-T-A-L dot com. And the book, of course, is Grow Now by Emily Murphy. Thanks very much for listening. We, of course, as usual, are brought to you by Life First Naturals. Do visit their website, lifefirstnaturals, with an S, dot com, for a great set of products such as bovine colostrum tablets or true biotics that should help you rewild your internal, um, if you will, microbiome. Thanks again, and thank you, Caitlin, as well as especially all our listeners. Do feel free to tell your friends about us. Do feel free to rate us weekly. Um, And thanks very much. By the way, you can always ask for different authors for suggestions at questions at greatagereboot.com. That's questions at greatagereboot.com. Thanks again.